Welcome everybody to the Pierce Point Podcast. Today we are going to um, walk through Luke chapter 13 and our hope is to get all the way through Luke chapter 13 today. Uh, Like we did in the last podcast and in the previous to that, uh, we're going to begin just inserting the, the comments and the questions and the ideas that you all are sending to us inside of the podcast. So instead of just kind of reading them at the outset and and in some ways those those points being disassociated with any point that we're making at the po- at that time, we want to just uh, address them in the moment because it really has been helpful. The past two podcasts we we really enjoy engaging with your comments in the middle of the discussion in the middle of the comments. So uh, without further ado, we're going to jump right into Luke chapter 13, starting at verse one. What stands out to you, sir? Well, it seems that Jesus is once again uh, teaching crowds here, and uh, uh, he has a a group that's around him, and they, and he brings up a, uh, someone brings up a report of these folks that uh, call the Galileans, uh, who and he, and it says that whose blood Pilate had mixed with their sacrifice sacrifices and I, I know and the question that Jesus asks about them, uh, is is a is a very uh, uh, intriguing question. He says, "Do you suppose that these Galileans were greater sinners than all other Galileans?" And I know you you've got some background on the Galileans and what they were about. So before we get into his question. Yeah. To them, we we'll kind of find out what these people were about. Yeah, I think I think first and foremost, we have to we have to deal with the historical reality that this occasion is strange. This who uh, whose blood the Galileans whose blood Pilate had mixed with their sacrifices is actually an incident that's not recorded in history. We don't see it in Josephus' writings. We don't see it in contemporary writers. Uh, Now, this brings up a really important thought with regard to, again, how we understand the truthfulness of the Scripture. We often use extra-biblical sources to prove points. Okay, we Mm -hmm. may not trust them as inspired. We may not look at them that way. But history in it of itself in and of itself is empirical evidence yes. we we want to we want to have evidence that is that is trustworthy evidence that we can rely upon and history is is empirical evidence that is also a really important point that i that i often bring up to my friends who are skeptics or my friends who are atheists or agnostics is that they they often uh, chime in and say the bible can't be trusted the bible can't be trusted and I often stop them and say, even if you don't like the morality of the Bible, even if you don't like the claims that Christ makes of himself or or that God exists, you can't rule out the book uh, from a historical perspective. Right. It is, uh, if nothing else, and it is much more than this, but if nothing else, it is a, a historical book and therefore empirical evidence that you mm-hmm. have to deal with. So I, I say all that to say that we use extra biblical sources to kind of prove the ideas of what we see in the Bible. So when we hear about people like Herod, or we hear about people like Pilate, or we hear about people like Nebuchadnezzar or Cyrus, or, or these different leaders throughout history, we actually have historical accounts that prove this stuff's real. Yes. This is no fairy tale. This is not a made-up story. But... 
even if you don't have that, it in no way discredits what has been given here. And so I think that that's just an important lens through which we need to see why do we believe in the Bible? Well, we have a lot of backup evidence. We have a lot of evidence that says, man, these people are telling us the truth. Because look, Josephus recorded, look at these contemporaries Mm -hmm. of Jesus's day, they recorded, look at these historians in antiquity, look at what they've recorded. It proves that this is actually the case. So Number one, we don't have this in any historical account, but that doesn't mean that something wasn't happening here. And it seems what what whatever was happening, it happened in Jerusalem. Yes. That's where those sacrifices took mm-hmm. place. But it was among a people group that are known as the Galileans. And these were a pretty... Um, well, they were pretty zealous people. Zealous. So kind of... <laughs> you, you, had, you had shared this morning about this idea of, you know, these guys were the... These guys were the the real deal in their zealousness. Yes, they were the extreme radicals of the of the day. Yes. They were the they were the ones that uh, uh, Pilate Pilate uh, and and all of those that were in in a in in authority would have been concerned about these types of groups because they were rabble rousers. They yes. they they were folks that caused their government to have concerns and. And uh, you know, so yes, they were they were on the radar screen. It, it they these folks are mentioned, uh, or the leader of this group, Judas, Judas the Galilean, who had who had headed up this group, is is mentioned in Acts, Acts when Gamaliel talks about it. Yeah, yeah. He, he he talks about him. So so we know that this man this man existed, and also Pilate was was also known to do things of this nature. So it wouldn't it wouldn't be far out of the realm of what Pilate had done before yes. to to take and 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 massacre a bunch of folks, which is what this story was about, yes. while they were in the temple giving their sacrifices. Yes. And and that is uh, that is particularly concerning when you are a Jew. It's concerning enough if somebody massacres your people. But in your holy place, yes. there's yes. something very uh, strange here. There's something very tragic here. And like you said, uh, Judas, uh, who is referred uh, to in Acts chapter 5, this is this is kind of the leader, and he was known as an insurrectionist. Yes. So, so think about this when you're when you're reading these things. Uh, when Jesus is brought before, uh, you know, Pilate, and he, and he is told, and he's like basically has to be judged here and found uh, guilty uh, per the Jewish people, and so he is crucified. The person that the people want released because they had this deal that they would release a prisoner every year, they released. Uh, Barabbas. Barabbas was a murderer and a known insurrectionist. So very similar to these kind of Galileans. Now on its surface, the basic understanding is that a Galilean is somebody from Galilee. Yeah. yeah. (laughs) That's true too. That's just an important, um, important addition to that. So here's what happens. He says, now on the same occasion, three, uh, there were so, uh, some present who reported to him about the Galileans whose blood Pilate had mixed with their sacrifices. So get the picture that these people came to Jesus and they said, what about this situation? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And Jesus says to them, do you suppose that these Galileans were greater sinners than all other Galileans because they suffered this fate? And and notice in that question, 
um, there was a predisposed idea of the radical nature of the Galileans. Mm. Think about this. He says, do you suppose that they were greater sinners than the other Galileans? Yeah. Right? Like, I don't know whether this is saying these people were known for being problematic, but whatever it is, Jesus is going, the answer is no. It's not really about yeah. that. And but, he would have known that. He was raised up in Galilee. Exactly. He, he, he was actually lumped in with that group in the uh, with the leaders of the day who were trying to squash some of these guys who were yes. causing all the problems uh, for uh, Pilate and for all of those that were in authority. And you're bringing up a huge point that says guilt by association is a powerful thing. Yes. Jesus is a Galilean. Isn't yes. this man yes. from Galilee? Isn't this a Galilean? And so the idea here is that Jesus somehow is an insurrectionist, or mm-hmm. he's somehow mm-hmm. a rabble rouser yeah, as well. Absolutely. Which, of course, uh, in in a kingdom way, maybe yes, uh, yes. you know, a, against the sin of humanity. <clears throat> sure. So we go from this question that says, uh, "Were these Galileans greater sinners than all the other Galileans because they suffered this fate?" Notice that Jesus is. We don't have it written what they were what they were asking of Jesus. But it says that they presented uh, a mm-hmm. report about the Galileans. So Jesus' question kind of gives us a picture as to what these people were wanting to know. Mm-hmm. Didn't they mm-hmm. deserve it, maybe, is, mm-hmm. is the right question. Mm-hmm. And so he says, do you suppose that these Galileans were greater sinners than all others uh, because they suffered this fate? And then verse 3 says, I tell you, no, but unless you repent... You will all likewise perish. Yeah, yeah. Them's fighting words again. It is, and I don't. I I think that when we when we read these things, we we start to understand that that Jesus took every opportunity to teach these people what it was that they needed to do, and this was just another a chance for for him to actually go in and say, "Here is something that you may have in your head that that says." Well, let me, let, let me just back up yeah. for a second. We we know that Job's friends thought that his his woes were as a result of his sin. We know that uh, Paul was thought that they they thought that Paul was a murderer when the snake bit him that time. He said, "Oh, look right. at this! He's going to die because he must have murdered somebody." Yes. Superstition. So it was exactly that. So it wasn't it wasn't unusual that people would would think that because of a uh, of a horrible thing that happened to someone that it was due to their sin. Yes. And Jesus said, "Not no, no. Yeah, it was actually well known. We're, we're going to read uh, here in a little while. We're going we're gonna to read about the story of whose sin caused this man to be mm-hmm. born blind. Mm-hmm. This was not uncommon. Sadly, I, I do find that there are groups inside of the church that effectively say, um, yes, uh, it's it's deep-rooted sin that causes these great problems in people's lives. And they usually get that theory from the scriptures that would say something like, you remember the scripture of the, of the uh, well, I can't remember the exact person involved, but what, what Jesus tells him is go and go and sin no more, otherwise something worse may happen mm-hmm, to you, mm-hmm. this idea something worse happening. They use this as their justification that says, you see, if you continue to walk in sin, it can bring about spiritual things and then those things can then weigh you down. I think all of that comes from that same heart. So so we shouldn't be turned off by the question, but we need to look at how Jesus would respond to it so that we can respond well to it. Yeah, yeah. Jesus' response to that theory is... 
That has nothing to do with it. Yeah. But he does say, if you're not going to repent, you will likewise perish. Yeah. So he says, no, their perishing was not because of a greater sin. But I'm telling you, yours will be mm-hmm. if you don't repent. Mm-hmm. That's a pretty powerful he, statement. He's, he's, he's saying to them, in a sense, listen, uh, they were no more guilty than you are of something. Is everybody guilty? Yes, we're yes. all guilty. Yeah. We're all guilty. The universality and of the sin. The universality now. of sin. And, and so it, here he's saying it's, they were no more guilty than anybody else of any, of any horrible thing that they had done that would cause this to happen to them. He said that's not the issue. The issue is they all need to, you all, all y'all need to yes, repent. exactly. And I do think that maybe what then is being said there is uh, we, we might conclude that Jesus' statement would be, those Galileans didn't repent in their waywardness. Mm-hmm. If you don't repent, you will also likewise perish. So it seems like a comparison, mm-hmm. even though it is not because of their quote-unquote greater sin that their blood was mingled with the sacrifice. That's just not what was the case. So then verse 4, uh, Jesus goes on, he says, or do you suppose that those... Uh, that those 18 on whom the tower of Siloam fell and killed them were worse culprits than all the men who lived in Jerusalem. Give me some thoughts on yeah, that. So evidently, there again, we, we, we don't have a lot of background on this at all. Uh, this was a story that seemingly was known to everyone that this tower had fallen and killed 18 men who were working on it or had, were there at the time. And, uh, and once again, Jesus is saying, uh, do, do you suppose that those 18 on whom the tower fell were worse culprits? Or they, uh, you, you, might, you might read that they were worse debtors in some translations yeah. than all of the men who live in Jerusalem. And he says again in verse 5, I tell you no, but unless you repent, you will all likewise yes. perish. So the similarity... Uh, of between these folks that that had died and the ones that were asking about it or were there at the time where we all need to repent yes, yes. I, I do find it I do find it important to ask hard questions of the scripture so that we can find out better answers I think I think better questions get us to better answers right and so here here's where here's where I think asking a tough question matters and that is, what does the Bible say about a greater sin? What does the Bible say about somebody who actually um, who actually owes more? You, you brought up the point of a greater debtor, which is just an amazing mm-hmm. picture, and it's an accurate one. Um, so a greater debtor, what does the Bible say about this? Well, here's, here's what the Bible doesn't say. Uh, the Bible doesn't say there are greater sins and your little sins don't matter that much to God. Mm-hmm. God hates sin. That's that's an important thing. There's no distinction in Scripture that says God hates the real bad sins and, and, and is okay with your little lies or something like this. Or as long as your sin didn't hurt anybody else, there's no such thing as a sin that doesn't hurt others, mm-hmm. right? They It will affect people somehow. Here's what the Bible does say, say about greater sins, and it's worth taking to heart. The Bible says about greater sins, he says that the person who has been forgiven much 
loves much. Yes. What the Bible says about greater sin says that the person who understands the depth of their brokenness and their sinfulness and has surrendered to Jesus mm-hmm. is a person who really gets the story. They yes. really understand the gospel. We got to stop this kind of rock throwing that says, you know, um, those guys of greater sin, they're worse off and Jesus is more mad at them. The only thing the Bible says about that is that those people who come to repentance for a great debt, the the one who owes 500 versus yes. the one who owes yes. 50, which we talked about a few weeks ago, the one who owes more, um, wow, he is more grateful. Mm-hmm. She is more grateful. So when we're thinking about sin, it's really important to not jump into the to the shoes of these people and go, ah, the greater sin, that's why this is happening. Mm -hmm. Time out a second. The truth is that has nothing to do with this story. Sin garnishes or sin, you know, results in punishment. Sin is sin is sin. Yeah. And, and keeping in mind that the people that Jesus is talking to here, the other piece of this that always stands out to me is the fact that most of these folks, if not all at this point, would have would have been very close to being all of them Jews. Mm-hmm. Uh, there, there were probably some Gentiles in the mix. But, but Israel had rejected God's call to repentance when John, when John had called for them to repent, and, 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 and they were rejecting Christ. Not all, not a hundred percent, but but in general, the rulers were rejecting Christ and his message. And and the impact of these of what Jesus has said here is that is that we uh, these folks couldn't say we have Abraham as our father. They they couldn't you know Jesus has dispelled that many many times yes. up to this point and said and because it seems like now it seems like because we've seen it in the past and I don't it doesn't say that these people were doing this but we know that the mindset of the of the Jews and especially the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the scribes and the rulers of the synagogue in their mind they thought hey we're we're way better than those Galileans for sure. Exactly. We're way better than most other Jews. We're way better than a lot of other people. And Jesus said, nope. no, unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. It doesn't matter what your status is. Absolutely. And, and, and I think to, to that point, which is so, so beautiful, what, what's really important here is to realize that sin is the great equalizer across humanity. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. But if you want to understand what is the great equalizer with regard to redemption, with regard to uh, salvation, it is that all have been invited to the same thing. Mm-hmm. Repent. Repent is to turn and go after Jesus and not after your own way. But what has to occur in that is a conviction that says, my way is wrong. My way is the wrong way. So sin is the great equalizer across humanity. We're all sinners. We've all sinned and fallen short. Repentance is the great equalizer when it comes to salvation because all are invited to the same thing. And I think this is exactly what Jesus is getting to when he restates in verse 5 what he has stated in verse 3. He says, I tell you no, but unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. It's the same line. Yeah. Right? So, So Jesus is saying this twice and saying, I want you to understand something. Unless you repent... It's not good. Unless you repent, it's not good. That leads to a really important point that is uh, fought against, sadly, in the church today. And that is that uh, somehow if we demand people repent, 
We're saying that they're earning their salvation. And this is patently absurd. Mm. The, the reason for this is because the gospel that Jesus proclaimed, the gospel that John proclaimed, the gospel that Paul writes through and through, the guy who we say tells us we're saved by grace through faith alone, is filled with language of us turning from our fleshly way and walking by the Spirit. Mm -hmm. This is repentance language. It is clear throughout. So I think we've got to keep remembering uh, what we're called to unless we repent. It really doesn't matter who sinned more, who sinned less, what their sin was. You have to repent. And it doesn't matter why, why they were telling Jesus that. I mean, I don't know if they were asking if he had any comment his answer seems to seems to say that they were asking okay what sin uh, they what sin did they do it, 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 and or why did this happen is it is it because because of their sin Jesus yes. kind of turns that around and say says wait wait a minute wait a minute what what does this mean to you yeah what and and what does anyone in in the realm of doing so wrong that they die for for it what what about you Yes. What about you? Let's go back to you. He he turns it right to them yeah. in in both cases of the of the uh, story here. Absolutely, and I think we we tend to judge we tend to judge people's uh, the weightiness of their sin based on the human physical this side of heaven. Uh, repercussions that they face. That's not always mm-hmm, a good telltale mm-hmm. sign. Yeah. The rain falls on the just and the unjust. Yeah, oh my, yes. there, are, there are people who are wicked through and through. We are all sinners. Please don't misunderstand what I'm saying. There are people who are wicked through and through, and they live happy, long, productive yes. lives. And we all scratch our heads and say, why? Yeah. There are people who are uh, righteous in the right sense. That is that they've put their trust in Jesus, that they are they are humbly saying, I cannot do this myself. I need Jesus to redeem me. And they die young. Yeah. Or they 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 have sickness and disease and pain and all of these things. I think of John the Baptist as the perfect example of this. Jesus says there's no greater man on the face of the planet than John the Baptist, except for, of course, the least in the kingdom. Yes. But he says there's no greater man on the planet. And John loses his head. Yeah. Where's the prosperity in that story, right? There there isn't because that's not the point of the scripture. Now, uh, jumping to the comments section, Matt Wesley had chimed in on verses one through five and he had said this, he said, even though we must all die a physical death, Jesus is telling us that no one has to perish eternally. And in this first five verses, I I suppose, if I'm reading uh, Matt's comment right on this particular day, I think Matt is pointing us to the fact that um, there is a perishing that happens if you're not going to repent, but you don't have to perish that way. Right. I, I think that's what Matt is mm-hmm. getting at if, be, I'm, yes. if I'm reading his comment well. So we're going to jump down to verses 6 through 9 and keep walking through this. Well, so, I, I wanted to just kind of uh, uh, wrap that up to just, you know, Jesus warned this audience. It's We, we just have to know this to and before we even move on, not to assume that, that these victims... Were, had been judged for great evil. So, uh, and and it's it's always Powerful. a temp, temptation 
to assign something that's unexplained, whether it be man-made, like the deal with uh, Pilate's slaughter of the Galileans or the tower falling on. We always, it's always a, temp, a temptation to say, well, this is God's judgment on something right. that they did. And, and Jesus is, is squashing that, that idea here, here and now. It's, it, it's wrong to assume that, that these victims are somehow worse sinners than everyone else. Absolutely, absolutely. And, so, you, okay. and you brought up Job before, which is a perfect thing because they misunderstood yes. uh, what was happening there, yeah. automatically assuming must automatically. have been Job's sin, must yeah. have been Job's sin. We, if we keep that, that idea and that attitude, we're keeping bad company. Yeah, it's so the, important, I think. Know, I think. I think Jesus was so much uh, trying to... It, it, it's all, it's, to me, it's, uh, he, he really drives a stake in the ground here and is trying to tell these people something that's going to benefit them greatly yes. so that they don't perish. Yes. Yes. You know? I think one likely uh, idea here, and this is just a common phrase that we would say, uh, parents especially say this about their kids when their kids are fighting with each other, is you worry about you. Yes, exactly. And I think that is just the common uh, yes. language of what he would say. So verse six goes on. He says, he began to tell them a parable. Imagine that. Yeah. Jesus deals with an issue and then he goes right into some obscure story that they don't get. He says, a man had a fig tree which had been planted in his vineyard and he came looking for fruit on it and did not find any. And he said to the vineyard keeper, behold, for three years, I have come looking for fruit on this fig tree without finding any. Cut it down. Why does it even use up the ground? And he answered and said to him, Let it alone, sir, for this year too, until I dig around it and put in fertilizer. And if it bears fruit next year, fine, but if not, cut it down. Now, here's yet again this obscure parable yes. that people have missed forever. Yes. Here's, here are the points that I want you to understand. Number one, the man had a fig tree, right? And it had been planted in his vineyard and he came looking for fruit on it. Jesus has come looking for fruit on the earth. Yes. Okay. So check this out. Jesus has come looking for fruit on the earth. Notice that the vineyard gives it three years. This is what we know to be Jesus's public ministry. This yeah. some three years of his life and he dies. Okay. So he comes looking for fruit on it, but what, it, what did he find? No fruit. no fruit. Same thing that he finds with the Pharisees and the Sadducees and everybody in the in the the realm, right? And he says to the vineyard keeper, "Behold, for three years I've come looking for fruit on the fig tree without finding any. Cut it down." So, what is the claim? Or what is the judgment? Judgment is it's worthless. Yes. Right. Cut it down. Why does it even use up the ground? And then this is an amazing thing. Verses eight and nine are something that you and I need to follow. Oh, yes. This is a sign of repentance. What we ought to say when convicted by the Lord of glory is we should say, Lord, please, let it alone for a year or two. Yes. Let me dig around it. Let me put. Let me do better. Yes. Let me do what I was supposed to do to begin with. Please notice the previous five verses are a call to repentance, and in this, the parable says this guy repented. Yes, he turned around. I just don't hear people talk about this parable that way, yeah. which is common for the, me. I don't hear them talking about. I it. see that this and 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 this farmer, this owner of this tree, is showing the patience and the mercy and the grace of God. It, it, he he didn't he 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 starts to pronounce judgment and then he says, 
I'm going to give you a second chance here. Yes. You've got a second chance. You're going to get mercy and grace here. And, and, and he's, uh, he, and, and the tree gets special care. Uh, it is, it absolutely is a picture or a symbol of the mercy and the, and the grace of God. God's looking for fruit here. Yes. He's looking yes. for fruit. Yeah. Absolutely. Now, now some scholars would, would most definitely kick back against my idea here. Uh, and they would say that three years simply is a number that is used to talk about a, um, a sufficient period of time. But for me, that's not an argument against my point. Mm-hmm. Right? right? I believe that Jesus had, God had given his people a sufficient amount of time. Yes. I believe that the the um, the parallel to Jesus' three years in ministry, which of course Luke doesn't talk about. That's not what I'm getting at. But what I am saying is that history would account for this. And we see that Jesus comes in. He had given them sufficient time. Mm-hmm. They pushed back on that. But verses 8 and 9 still stand as a an uncorrected by Jesus an uncorrected appeal of the servant that says let me do it your way mm-hmm. let me mm-hmm. dig around let me put some fertilizer let me figure out what's going on and then he says if it doesn't bear fruit next year fine uh right we'll cut it down, we'll cut it down. but if it does wonderful for us yes yeah the mercy of god and keep in mind that sometimes the care of god allows us to be Kind of surrounded by manure sometimes to be to get better. Absolutely, <laughs> but it is, uh, and that's just I'm just joking. But this this is a tree, and a tree that needs to produce fruit. Absolutely, and 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 the symbolism is there for us. If we don't if we don't have the spirit uh, symbolism, uh, the, we didn't the, even know. The, it. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry. If we if we can't if we don't start producing the fruit of the Spirit, the love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. If we don't, there's a point at which yeah. there's, the, the tree will be cut down yeah. at some point if it continues not to bear fruit. I think one of the other uh, components to that fruit-bearing piece that, that we have to survey the whole of God's Word to understand is that back in Genesis Genesis 12 and Genesis 15, Genesis 17, a few other places, God has promised Abraham that that uh, his seed would be, basically, would be a blessing to the whole world. Mm-hmm. It would, would be, be a blessing to the whole world. So we have this agricultural concept going on here, and there's seed being planted, and it grows, and it's fruit. We see this in Revelation, too, that the leaves of the tree, you know, are for the healing of the nation. Leaves are a, a form of fruit, but the point here is that you have you have this um, you have this expression of the fruit is actually supposed to impact other people. Mm-hmm. The very problem with Israel is that they held it to themselves, they were constantly asking stupid questions like, well, who's my neighbor? Because I'm only going to love the people that are easy for me to love. Sadly, they wouldn't even love their own at times, um, which is marked by this grand civil war that they had been in for so long. So the point that I'm I'm getting at with all of this is that when we, when we survey the whole of God's story, we see that producing fruit is a part of us being a blessing to the rest of the world. For the Christian, it's gospel ministry. We need to be going out. We need to be spreading the gospel because 
people are going to be blessed through what Romans 1.16 says, Mm -hmm. the power of God unto salvation, the message of the Mm -hmm. gospel. Mm -hmm. That's how we do this. So I agree with you completely. The fruit of the Spirit is an amazing component to this. But we also have the fruit that that fruit produces, which is salvation to the world. It it shows people the light of Jesus. Yes, absolutely it does. Completely. So verse 10, let's rock through this uh, this section. Verse 10 says, And he was teaching in one of the synagogues on the Sabbath. Imagine that. <laughs> and there was a woman who for 18 years had had a sickness caused by a spirit. Now, I, I love that connection, and we'll mm-hmm. talk about it. A sickness caused by a spirit. And she was bent double and could not straighten up at all. Uh, When Jesus saw her, he called her over and said to her, Woman, you are freed from your sickness. And he laid his hands on her, and immediately she was made erect again and began glorifying God. Now, we're going to talk about that synagogue official here in just a Mm -hmm. second and all the rest of the story. But but notice this. we We need to always read the Bible and put some categories down as we read it. There are people who are demon-possessed, legion, and other people, the, the, the boy who's throwing himself into the fire, and, and he's you know foaming at the mouth, and all of these stories. This is demon possession. There are people, that's a category, there are people who are simply sick. You were born blind, you're lame, you're, you've got leprosy, you, whatever that is, okay, there is a category there. And here we have another category, and we got to be careful not to miss it. A woman who had a sickness caused by a spirit. Mm-hmm. This woman is not demon-possessed. No, no. This woman is also not just sick. There is a sickness, there's an express statement, a sickness caused by a spirit. Yes. And Jesus comes and he and he straightens her up um, and he heals her, frees her from her sickness. I also point out... Um, she's not the cause of this in any way. It yes. doesn't even talk about her, you know, running after Jesus, grabbing onto him or any of yes. those things. Yes. I, I'm, I'm just amazed. This is probably one of the most amazing stories uh, that, that we have read so far at, because I'm, I'm amazed at what happens for this woman a- after 18 years, as, as you've said, a sickness that was caused by a spirit. And, and she has gone for 18 years, and uh, Jesus, who happened to be in that synagogue on that day, sees this woman, and, and it, he, he saw her and, say, and called to her. And, and it, it doesn't say that she called out to him. He called to her and said to her, woman, you are freed from your sickness. He immediately saw what the issue was. Now, as you've said, we, we, we can't go to the extreme on either way on this. We can't say that all physical issues are called by are caused by spirits. Exactly. But we also can't say that none of them are caused by spirits because absolutely. this says that, that it absolutely was. Yeah. So so we, we can't go to the extreme on on either situation. Now it looks like that uh, that she had been in this condi- condition for 18 years and and I and and we'll read on on down through this, but she seemed to be a godly woman. She was a daughter of Abraham. Uh, uh, Jesus called her that. She had obviously, yeah. And so, uh, so we know, as you've said, she, there was not a 
demon. She she wasn't possessed by a demon. She was bound, according to verse Certainly, sixteen. Exactly, and, she was bound. We're not. We're definitely not going to downplay what is happening here. But as you as you well put, you know, we've got to make sure we don't go to the extremes. What we need to do in our proper dividing of the word of truth is that we have to place proper categories and the parameters mm-hmm. that the biblical writers put for us. So in this, we don't hear uh, Luke say that there was a woman demon-possessed. We also don't hear, and there was a woman who was sick, who was bent over, you know, who was, who's crippled in some way. Um, we hear Luke expressly say, a sickness caused by a spirit. Mm-hmm. Then he describes what that sickness was. She's bent over, she's doubled over, and she couldn't straighten up at all. Now, I again, I want to stress this point. Jesus saw her. Meanwhile, remember what he's doing. He's teaching. Yes. So it's like he's, he's you know, this wasn't the way they, they did it. But let's say he's standing up on the stage on Sunday morning at the, <laughs> at the local church, which is not how they worked. But let's stand it up there. And he's surveying the, the audience, the people that are there, the congregation. And he goes, whoa, this woman. So he points her out. While he's teaching, he sees her. And he calls her over and said to her, woman... You are freed from your sickness. There's no mention of her faith. There's no mention of her desire mm-hmm. to be healed. There's no mention of any of those things. Unlike Legion, we don't see the woman uh, come over to him and then the demon speak and say, what have we to do with you, uh, you know, mm-hmm. son of man, or any mm-hmm. of those things. None of that's there. But we have the woman who is set free, which is just this amazing act of the mercy of Jesus, yes. right? And he, he lays his hands on her. Uh, we're, of course, going to have a thousand people groups make a make a ritual out of this. That means lay <laughs> hands on them. That's how it works. No, it's just what happened, right? He laid his hands on her, and immediately she was made erect again and began glorifying God. But there's always this but always, yes. in Scripture. Yes. But the synagogue official. Oh, Walk me through goodness. that synagogue official. Yes, it says, uh, verse, verse 14, but the synagogue official, indignant because because Jesus had healed on the Sabbath, began saying to the crowd in response, there are six days in which work should be done. So come during them and get healed and not on the Sabbath day. Now let me stop there. (laughs) He's saying this to the crowd out there. He hasn't said anything yet to Jesus necessarily. He didn't say, oh, this man can't heal. That's obviously not true. He's saying, hey, you guys can come six other days. Why do you have to come on the Sabbath and get healed? I'm I'm astounded. I'm like, this is, what? Yeah, this wins the award for the stupidest <laughs> yes. question you've yes. ever heard. Yes. So Jesus, Jesus, I, 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 I he's, he has to immediately respond. Yes. But the Lord answered him and said, "You hypocrites! Does not each of you on the Sabbath untie his ox or 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 donkey from the stall and lead him away to water him?" And this woman, a daughter of Abraham, so she's obviously a Jew, as she is, whom Satan has bound for 18 long years, should she not have been released from this bond on, on the Sabbath day? Wow. Yes. Wow. He, sa- he has said a lot. First of all, I don't know. I, I, I don't, we don't see. We don't read. We can't read anything into it that's not there. But no one has said to him, hey, she's been this way for 18 years. I don't know that any, he knew that any other way than he was God. Yeah. Uh, but And he said she's a daughter of Abraham. He knows that she's been this way for 18 years. And he, and, uh, I, there is, and he calls, the, he says, you hypocrites. So keeping in mind, Plural. absolutely, this guy was the ruler of the synagogue. There was a group of 10 men who, 
who, who were this group that actually ran all the synagogue, and this guy was probably the leader of it. So the other nine, or some of them, were probably there because Jesus said, you hypocrites. Yes. Now, and it may have been a lot of other people involved in that as well. But man, oh man, once again, he calls them out. He, he goes right to the hard heart of the issue. And Keep in mind, and and we'll talk about it. this. is just a just a geek moment. He he asks them, don't don't you each of you on the Sabbath untie untie your donkey or your ox if he has to go get a drink of water. Now later, the very words that he uses, I think in verse seventeen or one one of the no, I'm sorry. He uses the same word, released from the bond, was the same word that you yes. would have used in the Greek to untie an, untie an animal. Yes. So he's, he's, there's, I don't know if it's intentional wordplay or not, but it sure made sense. Yes. So, so we, we've got to think about all of the, the great parallels that I think are happening in this. The G- Jesus is saying so much, yes. even though we actually have just a few words. But, but so, again, I would say is the synagogue official. He's, he is at least indicating a lot of the wickedness and the sinfulness of his heart. So the synagogue official, indignant because Jesus had healed on the Sabbath, like we said, award for the dumbest question, yeah. right? Like, why are you having a problem with this? In other words, why are you indignant about this? He says to the crowd in response, there are six days. He is not for the people. Oh my, no. On Sunday, I shared a, a brief piece of, of uh, a pastoral kind of a pastoral idea that if we look at Paul, if we look at the, the writings that we see, uh, we understand a pastor's heart is a person who is not lording it over anybody's faith, but instead is working with them mm. for their joy. These people are so put off by the needs of these people that not only is he indignant towards Jesus, the Lord of glory, but he responds, as you rightly said, to the crowd and ridicules them. Yeah. There are six days in which work should be done, so come during them and get healed and not on the Sabbath day. Mm -hmm. What on earth is going on? But... There's a lot to this, okay? We have to remember the Sabbath. The Sabbath was a day of rest. It was a day of freedom in some sense that was given for mankind. It was, it was, it was to serve us, to give us a day of rest from all of the labor, all of the burden that we had in our work. So then Jesus jumps in in verse 15. The Lord answered him and said... You hypocrites. Now, remember what hypocrites were from yesterday's podcast. The hypocrite was the person who knows what's right and wrong and pretends like they don't know Mm -hmm. what's right and wrong. This guy knows that this person should be healed. But Jesus, when he points out that she has been crippled for 18 years because of the devil, he's indicting them. He's saying, you've done nothing for 18 years, even on non-Sabbath days, you lazy people. You don't know what you're doing. You're bad leaders, right? So he goes, you hypocrites. So we know what they are. They're just full of crap, right? Okay, so then we go on. Sorry about that, but we go on. Does not each of you on the Sabbath untie his ox and his donkey from the stall and lead him away to water him? And you rightly talk about the untying. Well, verse 16 is powerful. And this woman, a daughter of Abraham, she's not a donkey, guys. Right. She's she's one of your own. Yes. She is a daughter of Abraham, whom Satan has bound for 18 long years, which you haven't done a thing about, should not... She, should she not have been released from the burden on the day of rest? 
Yeah. Right? You see the you see yes. the parallels that yes. are going on here. Jesus is saying, first of all, you guys are hypocrites. You know what's right and you know what's wrong, and you're pretending like you don't. Number two, she has been bound for 18 years and you haven't lifted a finger, whether it's on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, or Friday. It doesn't matter. You've yes. not done anything, right? She's a child of Abraham and not a donkey, for goodness sakes, and you treat your donkeys better yes. than you treat her. Wouldn't it be fitting? Wouldn't it be right for her to be released from the burden she carries on the day of rest? Yeah. You yeah. guys have lost your minds. Yeah. And I love this. Oh, yeah. the imagery is so big. Well, this these folks obviously did not take to heart or hadn't heard when Jesus said, hey, do you remember the story about the Sabbath being made for man, not man for the Sabbath. Have you, did you, did you recall any of that? I mean, it was, had to be ringing in somebody's ears. Jesus knew about it, but it was, this was, uh, this was also, uh, it it, it almost seems like this guy didn't want to address Jesus directly. So he goes to the, to, to the ones that he thought he could get somewhere with, which are the people that are coming into yes. the synagogue. And I, I'm, I, I'm still, I cannot be more amazed at his, at his response and the, and all of the things he truly, truly is a hypocrite. And, and Jesus called it out. At, uh, he, yeah. <laughs> he also knows, don't you look Jesus in the eye yes, right now yes. because he's going to put, he's going to shut you down. And yeah. Jesus does. And the reason that I, I, I really, the reason I wanted to stress verses 15 and 16 and what was really happening there is because it's in that, it's in that, uh, very, uh, I'm an excitable kind of person. I, I'm a passionate kind of guy. It's in that level of passion that you actually can understand what's said in verse 17. If you read just Jesus's words in a in a bland sort of way, you hypocrites, don't you mm-hmm. don't do you not each on the Sabbath untie your ox and donkey? This woman's the daughter of Abraham. If it's read in that monotone way, or or it's just glanced over, uh, you're gonna miss that verse 17 says, as Jesus said this. All his opponents were being humiliated. Yes. Yeah. Why would they be humiliated if this was just some sort of docile conversation, some sort of simple thing? It's not. What Jesus is saying is, number one, you know what's right and wrong, and yet you choose otherwise. Number two, you treat donkeys better than you treat people. Number three, you could have healed her on a non-Sabbath day for 18 years, but you're impotent, mm-hmm, you're mm-hmm. incompetent, you don't do anything. And then he says, and the day of Sabbath marks that day that people should be set free from burden. Because of him handling it that way, they were humiliated. Yeah. The whole congregation, the whole crowd has to be looking at him going, we've never thought about that before. Yeah. These people haven't done anything in 18 years. That, that, exactly. They're humiliated. They're exactly. worthless leaders here. And she and this the other word that's and I I, I love going back to the Greek on, on some of these in, in verse 16, he says, so ought not this woman uh, to, to be loosed from this bond on the Sabbath? The word ought is really, the Greek has a, it, it's the word, the same word we use for must. She must be released. Yes. She must. Be. He was like, no, we're not going another day with her like this. I, I am, I'm absolutely just, what a great powerful, story. right? Yes. So, so it ends with what we would expect. And that is the entire crowd was rejoicing yes. over all the glorious things being done by him. Remember the story. It's not just that the woman is set free. He's, 
He is calling to justice the hypocrites that yes. are leading them. Yes. They're happy because they're in bondage too. Yeah. You know these people are going home every, every synagogue day. They're going home and they're saying, these people aren't helping us. Yeah. These people aren't doing anything for us. And here is, the, here is an indictment to the church. Woe to us if today people leave the church and say, you talk all this good game, yes. but you're not helping anybody. Yeah. Yeah. We can't be the people who heap heavy burdens on people, yeah. but don't offer a finger to help them lift it. Yeah. We better be better or, or it's going to be really bad yes. for us on that day. So let's roll into verses 18 through 21. Uh, parable of the mustard seed and leaven. So he just goes into another parable, yeah. right? <laughs> Challenging one too. Yes. So he was saying, what is the kingdom of God like? And to what shall I compare it? It is like a mustard seed, which a man took and threw into his own garden. And it grew and became a tree and the birds of the air nested in its branches. And he said, again, he said, to what shall I compare the kingdom of God? It is like leaven, now leaven in a good way, right? Which a woman took and hid in three pecks of flour until it was all leavened. You see, it seems that what Jesus is saying off of the back of the, of the rejoicing of the people, this is how mm -hmm. I'm reading it. It seems what Jesus is saying off the back of this rejoicing is, here's what I'm here to do. I'm here to put a little bit of, I'm here to put this small mustard seed in the hearts of these people mm. because it's going to take off. Mm. I'm here to put this little bit of leaven in, in these three pecks of flour because watch what happens. Mm -hmm. It's going to leaven the whole batch. So walk me through some, yes. some points yeah, that you I, saw. I think the other thing that comes to mind is that uh, Jesus is saying it, it, it does not have to be like what we've just experienced here in this synagogue. Amen. It does not have to be this way. He, it, it, he, he talks about this uh, uh, mustard seed that grew. Uh, many uh, re just regard this as a beautiful picture of the church growing and so large and, and that, it, uh, that it provides a refuge. It talks about the birds of the, of the air nested in its branches. Uh, it, it's a, it, can, it can grow into a very, very large tree. And so this is just a beautiful picture of what God is going to do throughout ages of time. Now, there you will read some that see this in the opposite. They see this as an indictment against the church. It is something that it's in the negative sense. Uh, it, it, they talk about that he may have been talking about the corruption. In light of what's just happened, it doesn't seem right. to make sense to me right. that that's what it is. But you will see, if you do any reading at all, you will see that some, some folks believe, some commentators and even some scholars actually believe that's the case. But in context, it doesn't seem to be yeah. that. Yes, without doubt. And I think, I think we have to look at this and, and see that a parable often doesn't focus on one of its elements. There are times when it focuses on multiple elements. So we have a seed, we have a tree, we have birds, we have a man, we, we have all of these pieces. And I think the, the picture is found in, in the whole, mm -hmm. not in zeroing in on something, but there can be things learned from those particular things. Take, for example, the mustard seed. 
There are skeptics out there that would look at this and they would say, see, this is an example. Uh, The mustard seed is not the smallest of seeds. Of course, it's not the smallest of seeds. The first response to that skepticism, uh, uh, instead of calling the Bible a lie, is to say, number one, not a scientific time in which they had developed or understood all seeds known to mankind. And number two, this this overstatement of the smallest of seeds, it was a seed that they knew. And many scholars conclude this kind of same idea that would say, this is the smallest of all your seeds, right? Mm-hmm. So I just want you to see this, yes. okay? Yes. So we can we can get off track by obsessing about the seed and what a mustard seed is and all of these other things. But I think if we're using common sense, we understand the point goes beyond the individual elements. Yes. Now, a mustard seed, it does grow into a plant and can reach, I don't know, something like eight, to, I don't know, 10. Yeah, yeah, I don't I know how right. tall yes, it is, yes. but it's like massively tall mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, for something that it's doing. So uh, all I'm saying in that is that there are many moving parts. There are many components Try to look at the whole of everything being said here and try to make uh, make a, de- a decision, try to understand how that would be understood based on the whole of it and not just a component part. Yes, yeah, yes, absolutely. So the teaching in the villages, I, I really could go on and on about those component parts, <laughs> yes. but I, I'm not going yes. to because I just said don't obsess, <laughs> but, you know, that would be just me being a dork. So, okay, so verse 22 and he was passing through from one city and village to another. So just make sure we take note that Jesus has changed geography here. He's, he's gone from a village to another village. This isn't all happening in the same story On now. his way to Jerusalem. He's on his way. So he's teaching and he's and proceeding on his way to Jerusalem. Verse 23, And someone said to him, Lord, are there just a few who are being saved? Mm. What a powerful question, right? Yeah, yeah. And then he goes on to an answer, but I want to I hear any thoughts you might have in, in this section. Well, there Wherever are, there are many, many things. This is uh, the, the first thing that stands out is the question itself. Uh, uh, there, I'm sure that there were many who who wanted to know that uh, if Jesus, are you changing things around here? Is this the way to God now? Mm-hmm. Are you you if you are the Messiah, then you 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 are the one that was promised, and uh, the question seems to reflect some kind of a debate that e- existed among the Jews at the time, yes. and and there was uh, there were there were many views of. How, just like there are today, there were many views of, of how God was going to do what he says he's going to do. So when scripture talks about a prophecy and how God is going to bring that to pass, there were many views then and there are many views now. Yes, so, But what Jesus does many, many times over is he brings this question around because that's a general question. Are there just a few that are being saved? Who are those few? What? He, there, there's no way that we can see who they're, who they're talking about. And Jesus brings it right back around to the person, yes. to each in, in, individual. Yeah. And much of this, much of this question uh, sounds similar to today's questioning. There are skeptics who say, how in the world are we supposed to believe that only those who hear the gospel of Jesus Christ are those who are saved? That's an unfair thing. That's, you know, God is not loving then because what about the what about the people in a remote part of the world who who never hear the gospel and all of these? Make no mistake, this question is not new. 
We actually see it posed to Jesus. Are there only a few being saved? One of the reasons for this question, though, which is worth studying, is that when you read in the Mishnah, um, you you read that uh, all Israelites were were assumed to have a share in the world to come. Mm. All Israelites. So Jesus' message that talks about people perishing, this is also another uh, really great case for the idea of hell, for the idea of punishment or an eternal punishment, God casting people out into outer darkness. I know that that's not popular. I know that that's not an easy Mm. pill to swallow, but it states it again that what this person is asking is, Something in your message, Jesus, is making me believe not everybody will share in the new world. But we are taught as Jews that every Israelite will share in the world to come. And Jesus is effectively saying no. Jesus is saying no. Yeah. Yeah. You, you, there's a repentance. There is, a, there is one way to the Father, right? Mm-hmm. There, that's through him. So... That kind of context is really important. And if you want any kind of information on that, you can look up the Mishnah. You can you can most likely find some online resources for that or uh, Sanhedrin chapter 10, verse 1. Okay, that's my uh, way of reading it, chapter 10, verse 1. I'm not sure that that's how they read it, but the point that is still the same, these are the rulings of these people, and this is where this idea comes from. Mm-hmm. So the man asks, are just a few going to be saved? And Jesus answers this question pretty powerfully by saying yes, effectively. And so he says, strive to enter through the narrow door. For many, I tell you, will seek to enter and will not be able. Mm -hmm. Now that is a punch in the nose to a lot of people today in their modern views of by grace through faith alone. Although that's true, they don't understand passages like this. Right. Jesus literally just said, some people are going to seek to enter, but they're not yes. able. Why are they not able? Yeah. Now, I think the right answer is this to this is you must be born again. Mm-hmm. This is this this is Jesus's response to Nicodemus. You must be born again. But nonetheless, there is an able and a non-able. Yes. Yes. And it's not about just seeking. It's no. not about just it's, a noble heart no. that says, I want to go to heaven. Yeah. It's he more said, than that. He says more than... So he says strive. The, the Greek word for strive is to agonize over it. Yes. Agonize to enter through the, through the narrow but door. But Bar- Barney, hold on, hold on a second. <laughs> You're taking this Christian thing too seriously. You wouldn't believe how many times I get that response. Yeah. And that's what we're called to. Yes, it is. And I, I think many people, first of all, the, you know, number one, uh, they... They hear that Jesus is the only way that you can get to the Father. You're, you're not going to come any other way. So they say, well, well hold, hold on a minute. You mean there's not many ways to God? Just, God is not a, the center of a bicycle wheel and all the spokes lead to God and every one of the spokes? No, it's none of that. I don't care what yeah. Oprah <laughs> Winfrey says. It is not that. It, 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 it is many don't like the gate. They don't like the door that gets Amen. them there. And they say, it, wait, you mean I, I, I have to do this whole Jesus thing? Uh, yes. yes. Yes, you do. And you have to strive for that. So this flies in the face of our, of, uh, it, it flew in the face of these folks as it does in our modern day world today. They say, this is, this is not 
not so inclusive. Yes. It's, it, Jesus said a lot of things that a whole lot of people don't like. Yes, yes he did. Yes, he yes, did. He, and, and, and I love where you're going with this idea of inclusiveness. It is completely inclusive if you'll do if what you, he said. Absolutely, yes. But that, you know, we, we've, we both have kids. You've raised yours. I'm in the process of trying not to you know, lose them. <laughs> but, um, but it is really powerful that it, we often say to our kids, if you'll just do what I say, it'll be fine. But our kids many times just don't want to do yeah, what we say. Yeah, yes. they, they say, but my way's better. Well, we'll figure it out in the end. So verse 25, mm-hmm. uh, he goes, once the head of the house gets up and shuts the door and you begin to stand outside and knock on the door saying, Lord, open up to us. <laughs> then he will answer and say to you, I do not know where you are from. Now we have this line Language before mm-hmm. this language before in this friend relationship that yes. says, if you are persistent, this is the prayer teaching, right? If you're persistent in your prayers, you knocking on the door of a friend, he's not going to get up and give you what you need just because you're a friend. That's true, but he's going to do it so you leave him alone. <laughs> yes. He's going to do it because you're persistent. But here, no amount of knocking matters, and here's why. Because he doesn't know who you yeah. are. There is no friendship here. You can knock right. once it's too late. That's what we often do. We're like, oh, no, you know, let's knock on the door. It's too late. There is a too late, whether yeah. we like that or not. There's no opening the door. And and this is, and and when when we see this, we think, you, you mean there's a point that if I haven't done that, I, 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 I may not get there? Y- yes, there is a point. There... <laughs> Jesus said, uh, "There, I mean, we're going to have some obstacles in this life. I mean, we we have an enemy that doesn't doesn't want us to 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 live the way that Jesus called us to live. We have our own flesh that certainly battles against the spirit yes. of God and what the spirit of God is n- telling us to do every day. And 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 I, I I see people all the time say, well, I'm you know I'm a seeker. I I want to seek seek out the truth and get it.'" I, and that's fine. That's fine. You're going in the right direction, but seeking isn't striving. Striving is a whole other matter. It's yes. agonizing to get there, doing whatever it takes. And and I, you know, this is this is uh, some something that doesn't sit well in our world today. But there is no other way to heaven. Yes, yes. there is no other way to he- heaven. And I I don't I I I know that there are many things out there that sound good, but Jesus says. That once the door is shut, no amount of knocking, it, because they don't know who you are. The Lord's gonna. He's once the door is shut, it's shut. Yeah. Now it's open right now, but it's it, it's gonna be yes. shut. I, I had a friend of mine years back, um, and his life has been characterized by this seeking, and he's not a worldly seeker. He's not looking for uh, answers through atheism or answers through uh, this pretend idea of, I just don't know, right? There's nobody who's, I love this. I love this. I've heard this so many times. There's nobody who's truly an agnostic. Romans would tell us, you know the truth. You just don't like the truth, yes. right? There's no, yes. there's not a real agnostic out there. Um, what you mean is I've not been convinced, fine, but you you know that there's a, there's a thing there. But my friend was, he was constantly seeking and seeking and seeking and specifically through the roads of spiritual things. So he would seek through Buddhism and he would seek through Hinduism and he would seek through Christianity and seek through different branches of Christianity and these different things. And I looked at him one day and I said, I said, man, I, I said, I love you. 
but I want I need to say something to you that you might not like. I said, the goal of seeking is to find, and you think the goal of seeking is to keep seeking. Yeah. Like yeah. that's a noble thing. Stop seeking to seek. You need to look for the answer, and when you yes. find it, you need to listen yeah. and obey. You need to sit down and accept it. These people, they're seekers, but they're not seeking to find. Yeah, they're just playing the game. So Jesus really kind of hits them where it hurts. Mm-hmm. He says, "He says I'm not gonna I'm not gonna open the door." Right? He says, "I do not know where you are from." Verse twenty six. Then you will begin to say. Now look at that right there. He said, "Then you will begin to say." Some of the people in his yeah. presence. Yeah. He said, "You're these people, right?" He says, "Then you will begin to say, we ate and drank in your presence, and." And uh, you taught in our streets. Yeah. Uh-huh. And the modern person says, and I went to church. Yes. Yeah. And I took communion and I did this. So what? I heard about Jesus. I heard about Jesus. I know, I, I know who he was. I, exactly. I went to church. My grandmother took me to church. We. I, I heard a lot of things. I even know a couple of Bible stories. Exactly. And, and it, it, Jesus said, I, sorry, but I... I don't know who you are. Yeah, I don't know where you're from. Verse 27, depart from me, all you evildoers. That's the response. That is the truth about who you are. And then he really reinforces the idea of separation uh, between between man and God or the separation ultimately. Mm -hmm. In that place, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. When you see Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and all the prophets in the kingdom of God, but yourselves being thrown out. Remember the image he's already painted of Lazarus, this this story he he made up, he told of a rich man and Lazarus. Lazarus is in Abraham's bosom and the rich man is in agony. Yeah. He's He is in pain. He is set out. This is the same language. And he says, just so you know, you're going to see Abraham. You're going to see Isaac. You're going to see Jacob. It would have been amazing if Jesus would have said, and that Lazarus guy I, I yeah. told you about just making the story here. But he says, you're going to see them and all the prophets of the kingdom of God, but yourselves being thrown out. Mm-hmm. And then verse 29, and they will come from the east and the west and from the north and the south and will recline at the table in the kingdom of God. And behold, some are last who will be first and some are first who will be last. Mm-hmm. So Jesus is saying that it's important, first of all, that not only you best know who he is, but he needs to know who you are. My mind goes back Amen. just a few weeks back or a couple of months back where we talked where you talked about knowing and being known by God. Yes. And, uh, and he says, he says I, don't know, I, I don't know you. I don't know where you're from. Now, of course, Jesus knew them in a sense. He, he, he knew who they were and of their life, but he didn't know them in a sense of a relationship. He, uh, uh, that, that's the vital connection. Yes. So his, his words are stressing this importance of not only you knowing him, but him knowing you. And to, for him to know you, 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 you have to live close. You have to live uh, close to, to him or you're not, he's not going to get to yeah. know you and you're certainly not going to get to know him. Absolutely. Psalm 107 uh, verses 1 through 3. I mean, the whole psalm really speaks well to this, but Psalm 107 verses 1 through 3 speak of those who come from the east and the west, those who really are belonging to God and they're marked by redemption. They have been redeemed. Verse 1 of the psalm says, Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good, for his loving kindness mm-hmm. is everlasting.
everlasting or his loving kindness endures forever. And then verse two says, let the redeemed of the Lord say so, whom he has redeemed from the hand of the adversary. And then there's the east and west language and gathered from the lands from the east and from the west, from the north and from the south. He He's redeemed these people. But here's the real important thing. The redeemed are those who are entering his presence. Yes. Those are the people who have repented and they've believed. They've surrendered their life and they've come to him. The people who are, well, I had a I had a dinner with Jesus once. I went to church a couple of times. I went to church all my life, but I never really got to know Jesus and he didn't get to know me. It doesn't matter. Mm-hmm. That's not what saves you anyway. What saves you is the redeeming power of the blood of Christ Jesus that has been poured over you by grace mm-hmm. through faith. You, yes. you trust him, and that's yes. really important. Yes, and I, I just, I, Jesus was not afraid to give them hard truth at this point. He, his time is getting very, very near. He's, he's, he's headed to the cross, and, and where the final rede- redeeming work is going to be done, and, he, and he's talking about, he goes on here, we'll, we'll see, he's talking about the, he, he's talking about hell here. He's talking yes. about weeping and, and gnashing of teeth and, 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 I, and, and, and a separation that occurs and no one, no one enjoys talking about them, but he, but uh, about that, but it, but it's needful. It's needful to know Absolutely. that it's real. And, Absolutely. uh, Jesus Jesus said something else here that just absolutely astonishes me. He when and and you and you had mentioned it. He he there there'll be many from all over the world in God's kingdom. This was probably a shock to many of the Jewish leaders who thought that they were the only ones that was going to yes. going to receive anything from God. Yeah. Uh, it's so. back to it's back to something we said earlier on the on the concept that these people uh these people had been brought uh, they were they were brought from the east and the west, the north and the south. When when God's people should have been reaching to the world, the blessing of yes. Abraham to the world, they were not doing it. And God is saying, "Come in." Which actually, I'm I'm so glad that you you highlighted that again because verse thirty can only be understood through that lens. Yes. A couple observations in verse 30. First of all, it says, "And behold, some are last who will be first, and some yes. are first who will be last." Uh, the Bible often talks about things in ways that we say, this is an absolute, it cannot change any other way, but it's simply not the way the writing would have been understood. Mm-hmm. For example, uh, train up your children the way they should go, and in the end, they won't depart from you. That is not saying that that a child can't rebel against their parents and not accept Jesus. Mm-hmm. That's not saying that. Well, at least I taught them well. Um, so in the end, they'll come back to it. No, some some people wander off and never return. Okay, the point is that if you're going to do your job as a parent, you are you are uh, you're working on a greater assurance. You're doing your due diligence, and it's going to be better for you inside of this. The same thing that says um, the the scripture would say: obey your parents, and it will go well with you. You know, the first command with a promise: obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right, and it will and it will go. You you'll live a long life. That doesn't mean you'll live to 120 years old. Yes. That means if you're listening to, I love what uh, one one pastor I heard say, if you listen to your parents, if you obey your parents, guess what? You'll probably not run out into the street and get hit by a car. 
(laughs) That's the point of this, right? So we have to understand it in that way. When the Bible says the last will be first and the first will be last, that's actually not a absolute or a universal. We hear some are last who will be first and some are first who will be last. That's the first thing that I wanted to say. That was a long thing, but it was the first thing. And the second thing is this, the last who will be first is understood in the context. It's the world. Yes. They were not God's people, quote unquote, but now have become God's people. And here's the problem. Some of God's people won't be God's people. Yes, exactly. God can make children of Abraham out of what? Rocks, if he wants to, right? He can also, just because you've been circumcised, just because you attend synagogue, just because you do all of these quote-unquote things, religious things, doesn't mean you're his. No. And no. That, is, that is a real important understanding of what verse 30 means. Yeah, now, yeah. I wanted to chime in with something Matt Wesley had shared. He said, when Jesus tells us about the narrow road or narrow doorway, and we hear about those who will be shut out and expecting uh, an automatic entrance into God's kingdom simply because they heard what was said and were present, But the thing I believe Jesus was trying to get across was that it takes more than just consuming the Word of God. Where where is Matt's statement true? We saw it back in the parable of the seed, every or the the parable of the soil. Every soil, except for the path, right? The devil Mm -hmm. stole Mm -hmm. away the seed. Every soil, rocky, thorny, and good received the word of God. Absolutely. Matt's dead on. We find that earlier. They had consumed the word of God or they had taken it, but they didn't mm-hmm. do anything. There was mm-hmm. no response. But there, there's more in what um, in what Matt says, and I believe that it's powerful. He says, um, he says as we've heard from Nathan the last few Sundays, uh, if you want spiritual abs, you've got to have a spiritual diet and do those spiritual crunches. I love it, Matt. Yeah. You're awesome. But he goes on and says this. It takes not only learning the word of God, but acting on his word as he's laid out for us to live by. And you and I have talked about this, and I'll save some of that comment for for another podcast, but you and I have talked about it. What does James tell us? Don't be hearers only, but doers. You can't just, okay, I heard the Bible today, so what? Go for it. So we we roll right into uh, verse 31. And this was a this was a strange verse to me, and 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 we'll go through it. And, and if you get into yes. it, you'll find just at, at at that time some Pharisees approached, saying to him, Jesus, go away and leave here, for Herod wants to kill you. <laughs> and he said to them, Go and tell that fox, behold, I cast out demons and perform cures today and tomorrow, and the third day I reach my goal. Nevertheless, I must journey on today and tomorrow and the next day, for it cannot be that a prophet would perish outside of Jerusalem. Well, it sounds like that the Pharisees really, some of them really liked him. I'm I'm not sure that that's true. I think he was causing them a lot of grief and a lot of issues, and if they could lie, it, would, it wouldn't matter. Herod probably did have ill intention for him. There's no doubt about that. We, we see that. 
But if they can lie and get him out of their hair for a while, they were they're happy. Yeah. Why don't you move on to the next town, Jesus? Yeah. We don't want you to get killed by Herod. I think I I actually think you're spot on with that analysis, and here's why: because there is a point in which Herod is is wanting to meet Jesus yes. because he wants to hear him. There's he has heard all of these things that Jesus has done, and he wants to meet this guy. It actually appears that these people are lying. Yes. That they're actually saying, we don't want you around, so we'll warn you that Herod's going to kill yeah. you. Uh, again, we're, we may be conjecturing it here, but be, I, yes. we have some proof in that. Another piece that this passage of Scripture speaks to with regard to proof is this, that above, when when we hear the three days, uh, the three years of the... Uh, the, the um, the olive tree mm-hmm. and the worker, and he says, "Give me an extra, give me extra time." That was the sign of repentance at the beginning of this chapter. Again, scholars say, "Don't read it as though that's paralleled with Jesus's life, because it never expressly states that." But actually, it does, and here's why. In verse 33, it says, Nevertheless, I must journey on today and tomorrow and the next day, for it cannot be that the prophet would perish outside of Jerusalem. The previous verse also says, I um, I cast out demons and perform cures today and tomorrow, and the third day I reach my goal. I think Jesus has said, my goal here has yes. been one, two, three, to reach the end. I believe that that is a confirmation of the above parable or the above passage. So I want you to just consider that. But I love the fact that he says, tell that fox. It appears if these guys are lying to him, what Jesus is actually saying is, listen up foxes. Yeah. He's calling them foxes uh, yeah. if this is true. And I actually think it is. I think he, I, I don't think Herod cares at this point. That's my opinion. I don't think Herod cares. I think he's calling them foxes and saying, uh, well, wow. why don't you tell them? Uh, why don't you go tell Herod, I mean you, that I have to do what I yes, have to do. Yeah. So suck it up, it, Buttercup. It, it could very well be. That's, that's because I don't, I, I think these people absolutely wanted him out of the way. Yes. He was creating havoc in the in the synagogue yes. uh, and these now th- that's not to say that there were some Pharisees that there may have been some that 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 would have that would have uh, seen I, we we think about uh, Gamaliel and and those that 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 had a, a deep understanding of what God was doing and 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 we even see some of uh, we see uh, Nicodemus and yes. we see some of the other. We, we see some that may have had some level of belief, or and we just don't. We, we, we just don't know. But there was definitely he was creating a problem for them, mm-hmm. and and for them that when you think about to to the Jew when he called him a fox, a, a fox was regard, regarded he was the slyest of of animals, yep. uh, the most de- de- destructive. Uh, uh, and kind of a symbol of somebody that's something that was kind of worthless. I mean, yeah. they had no use for a fox. Yeah. So it was kind of it was really a uh, 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 a slam to them or to Herod or maybe both, maybe as you said. Both. Exactly. So so what a powerful thing. And and I think if we look at verse thirty four, we actually see Jesus makes this declaration to everybody. That, that is not for him. He says, Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the city that kills the prophets wow, yeah. and stones those sent to her. How often I wanted to gather your children together, just as a hen gathers her brood under her wings, 
and you would not have it. Yeah. Now, I love this because oh, it depicts the will of man in such a powerful way. Mm-hmm. The God of the universe, Jesus, not only declares his very clear expressed will here, no hidden will here, right. a very clear expressed will, which is the only will I believe God has, is, is one will. And so he declares the will and he says, I wanted to gather you. So God wanted something and it never happened. God wanted it and he says, and you would not have it. This is so clear on the will of man that it says, I wanted to bring you in. I wanted to care for you, but you reject, you reject, you reject. You notice this wouldn't make any sense if it is true that God decreed that they would resist him or reject him. If God made their hearts hard that they would never reject him, this wouldn't make any sense. He couldn't say you would not have it. He would at least need to say you would not have it because I made you to not have it. He never says such words. They are guilty of their rejection yeah. of him. It, it is it is one more one more example. We see the lady who was just healed in in the synagogue and and we all know that Jesus was God and 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 he could have he could have healed her without even a touch, but he 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 is compassionate and he laid his hands on her and I don't know the symbolism of what that meant, but can you imagine the heart of God that says, "I'm going to lay my hands on you and this Verse 34 is, is the heart of God, the creator of the universe who has all power over heaven and earth against everything. He, he has authority to exercise judgment on these people. And he's saying, I, I would have gathered you. I would have, it's, 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 a, it's a protection like, like a mother is, uh, well, he, he says, as a hen would gather, uh, how often I would uh, wanted to gather your children together as a hen gathers her brood under her wings. But you wouldn't have it. You were not willing. You can hear the longing in Jesus' voice to protect his people from this judgment. He, he did, God's not willing that any should perish. Amen. Amen. He said, if you'd been... Willing, I would have done it in a moment. Yes, and and I I love this, and and often often overlooked because we don't uh, we don't ask the questions of uh, who is he talking to, who are all the subjects involved in the statement. Look at this. He says, "Oh Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the city that kills the prophets and stones those who sent." sent to her. So he is clearly talking about people from the past because they've killed them, right? Okay. That's important, but it is their track record. Now look at what he says here. He says, how often I wanted to gather your children together. Jerusalem is the mother here, right? It's the people of God. She's the mother. The children are all her people. So he wants all of them to come to know this. Just as a hen gathers her brood under her wings, and you would not have it. There's a statement that Jesus makes elsewhere in the Gospels that says, Woe to you who causes one of these little ones to stumble. It would be better for a millstone to be tied around your neck and thrown into the sea. Right here, it seems Jesus is making that warning again that says, I wanted to gather the children but you're causing them to stumble. You are. You would not have it. You won't even let me gather the people, mm-hmm. right? Remember who he's talking to, the Pharisees. They're trying to block him at every turn. I think there's something in that, that he is. he's calling them out as being a people who are standing in the way 
of what, like you rightly said, of his heart. I want you all. I want you to come, but you won't. Yeah. You won't. Then verse 35, behold, your house is left to you desolate. And I say to you, you will not see me until the time comes when you say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Now that right there, yeah. is some indication of something else that Jesus has to do in the future. Could it be his resurrection? Could it be his second coming? I don't know. I don't know that they had a framework for any of those things yet. But what we do know is that it is indicating a future event. It is. It and is. they will recognize it. And Paul talked about the fullness of the Gentiles and, 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 and all of those things. So I think there's uh, uh, it, it, that... that until that time occurs that we've they're going to reject that. and we've not reached it yet. And uh, it, it was, uh, God has promised that if they will turn, he will redeem them. This is the heart of God. This is the, this is the very heart of God. Uh, uh, and this, that, that's what he wants to do for these people. It, keeping in mind, if you it, it just, if you, it, God is not willing that any should perish, but all come to repentance. So. Perfect ending to this, uh, to this episode. So guys, we really appreciate you again, uh, liking and sharing and listening and, and commenting on these things. We want that to continue. So share this stuff on social media, hit that like button as often as you're listening and even as often as you're not listening. Anyway, uh, <laughs> like that, like those podcasts, share those with, uh, your friends and those people that you believe believe would really benefit from growing in God's word, people who need to maybe hear God's word spoken, taught in a way that is understandable to them. We want to encourage you to share that. Send us your emails, send us your questions, points of agreement, points of disagreement. Again, those email addresses are piercepointchurch at gmail.com, nathanfrankhauser at gmail.com, or barneyestes at yahoo.com. You can also post comments on Facebook. You can post comments on any of the, um, the, the streaming services, I believe, but we want to hear from you and know what's going on. There's also the YouVersion Bible app, so don't forget that. We'd love to have you join us in that daily reading. There's great questions going on in there. There's great comments and points of confirmation between different uh, participants. So we encourage you to it. God bless you. Have a great day.